What's up, boys and girls? Hello, and I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to listen to episode three of the Josh Belcher Experience, a podcast that is unique, just like all the other podcasts that you may listen to. I'm your host, Josh Belcher. Uh, this 4th of July uh, week uh, podcast is ram-packed with a lot of special stuff. Um, we got a trip to Metropolis, Illinois, went to go see the home of Superman. Uh, went to the James K. Polk presidential home here in Columbia, Tennessee, where I live. Talked to the director, John Holtzapple, about the things uh, President Polk and his first lady did uh, during uh, July 4th to celebrate. Um, lots of good stuff coming your way. Just wanted to take this time to give thanks and a shout out to all the men and women that serve my country, the United States of America. Truly grateful for all you do. Hats off to you. I salute you. I uh, wanted to give a special thanks to Adam Cribbs and family inviting me over for 4th of July shindig. Had a great grill out. Had a really good time. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, very appreciative. Uh, anyways, on with the show and here we go. Thanks for listening, guys. Episode three's song of the week. Well, in honor of Fourth of July and uh, the patriotism of all of our uh, men and women in uniform who serve proudly, uh, hats off to you. Thank you for my freedom. Much respect. We're going to go with the song Galveston by Glenn Campbell. This is an oldie but a goodie in the uh, country and western genre. This song was released in February uh, 1969 on the 24th to be exact. I went to number one on the country music charts, was named number eight on CMT's 100 Greatest Songs of Country Music. Uh, The song was written by Jimmy Webb, who also wrote hits for Glenn Campbell, Wichita Lineman, and By the Time I Get to Phoenix. Uh, Galveston is a city on the coast of Texas that attracts lots of hurricanes. And uh, Webb was on the beach in Galveston when he wrote the song. He made up a story about a soldier in the Spanish-American War and the girl he left behind. Um, Lots of songwriters never find themselves in places like Galveston or Wichita, for that matter. But Webb found inspiration in the people he encountered in such places. Uh, The Vietnam War was going on when Glenn Campbell released this song. And this song was considered an anti-war song. A lot of people thought it was about a young man leaving for Vietnam at 21, which is, um, you know, you could easily misconstrue that. Um, You know, a lot of uh, backlash about the Vietnam War. And... um, that's uh, why I decided to tribute this song. I can't play more than about 15 to 20 seconds of it because I don't want to get sued for copyright infringement. Um, but if you get a chance, check out the song. It was a smash hit for Glenn Campbell. It's a very easy listening song. It describes a young fellow who's, like I said, going off to war and uh, leaving the one he loves behind. Uh, and with that, we're going to give you some uh, fun facts by Glenn Campbell. This is his tie-in with the Beach Boys, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. He actually played guitar on the Pet Sounds album. And when Brian Wilson had his very first mental breakdown, Glenn Campbell joined the Beach Boys on the 
on road to tour with them from December of 64 to March of 1965. And during live performances, Glenn played bass and sang falsetto harmonies in the songs. Uh, the Beach Boys, of course, wanted to keep him, enjoyed his talents, but uh, they said he was uh, too much of a star on the rise for a solo career, and he went solo, and uh, look at all the things he accomplished uh, before he passed away. So rest in peace, Glenn Campbell, and a salute to all our, our soldiers. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. I'm now in episode three for the lunch break. I'm here again with my co-friend and co-host for this portion, Mr. Jeff Smith. Hello. And today, we're going to talk about a movie we just saw, Spider-Man Far From Home. We just went to the theater and saw it. It was air-conditioned. It was nice and comfy. Uh, two hours and change. Jeff, tell us what you thought about Spider-Man Far From Home. Give us give us some insight. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Spoilers are coming. So you can either pause through this part or just stop listening. Yeah. Uh... I don't know. It was pretty good. Uh, I, like we were talking about before we started this, uh, it was definitely aimed towards more of the tween age uh, category. Tweens. <clears throat> the tweens. A uh, lot of a lot of kids in the movie. Of course, Spider Man in this one is a kid. He's sixteen. Sixteen yeah. years yeah. old. Twenty one years old in real life. Yeah, twenty one <laughs> year old playing sixteen year old. Um, but, but that's not that's not uncommon though. Yeah, no, I, I agree. A lot of people, you know, they dress them up or dress them down to look a certain age. But yeah, like Jeff said, this is aimed more towards kids. Not a lot of depth in this movie. <clears throat> a lot of awesome action sequences. Uh, the main villain, of course, is Mysterio, played by uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and uh, you know, their their fight sequences, the the uh, the illusions the guy puts on, very cool. A lot of tricks and turns in this movie that you'll be like, kind of like ooh, eyeing uh, a couple of things. Uh, other than that, not not a huge storyline. They go. Uh, overseas, they go abroad on their school trip. Um, you know, the, uh, happy. Uh, you know, it's this is a post Iron Man world. Uh, you know, everybody's returned. This is the the next Marvel movie after the Big Avengers Endgame fight. So you've got Tony Stark missing. So his right hand man, Happy, uh, is following Spider Man around now because Tony Stark apparently left some information that he believes uh, Peter Parker and Spider Man are going to be the next. Uh, Tony Stark or inheritor of Stark Enterprises, so that's where we're going from there. Um, what did you think about that as far as like that, that friendship that is uh, developed now? Happy goes from being just the head of security for Stark Industries and Tony Stark to basically Spider-Man's glorified babysitter. Uh, actually, I didn't mind that so much. <clears throat> I think it's actually pretty cool. You know, Spider-Man has now, now has this uh, weight on his shoulders as a kid to uh, become, you know, the next... The Tony next, Stark. Tony Stark, yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, he thought that much of him. I mean, and and like I said, John Favreau plays an awesome character. He directed a couple of the Iron Mans, and now he's taken into this role. But it's a lot to take on, because, like, uh, you know, Peter Parker in this movie, being the kid he is, uh, Nick Fury's calling him to, because uh, he knows he's going to Europe, and he's, he's going to put a task on him to take care of some... Uh, some trickery and some evil that's going on over there and peter parker is afraid to answer the phone like uh, you can't not talk to nick fury he's the head of shield and he's the big guy in the avengers i mean i know um he's a pretty intimidating guy but i mean he just he ignored him till he had to come chase him down i mean just just lots of bits of um, immaturity for this spider-man uh you know he's just a kid growing up and he's got a lot to tackle he's fallen in love with this uh mj she's not mary jane she's not the ginger um, Caucasian nope. uh, 
Mary Jane we're used to. It's a uh, the girl. Her name's MJ, and she's I guess African American mix. She um, I don't know really what her ethnicity is, but she was on uh, Nickelodeon or Disney sure. show. Yeah, but the, you know that's the route they're going. Things are changing. No Stan Lee in this movie at all. No. Um, I was surprised by that. I'm guessing because maybe, uh, hell, I don't know, he's dead. <laughs> well, I know he's dead, but I mean, you would think at least maybe put a picture of him on the wall or oh, something. Oh, yeah, a picture, yeah, some kind of like, you know, a little homage yeah. in there what? somewhere, a, a photo or, uh, you yeah. know, uh, put him maybe on a the flashback wall. of some sort of him. Yeah, Tony something. Stark was spray painted on the wall. Yeah, Tony Stark was on the wall. I mean, you wouldn't, have, wall. you wouldn't have um, Spider-Man if it not for Stan Lee. He actually come out of his brain. That's right. That is an original Stanley um, creation. So, what did you think about um, them changing uh, MJ as far as, like, not Mary Jane, what we're accustomed to in the comics, but this new girl who she's kind of abrasive, kind of smart-alecky, uh, you know, this millennial, this new millennial girl that's filling in for uh, the Mary Jane that we're accustomed to in comics and, and the original Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire uh, before they introduced Gwen Stacy. How do you feel about her? Uh, I don't know. I guess she was all right. I just don't understand why she's called MJ if she's not Mary Jane. I yeah. Don't, I don't under. I'm not really following that. Yeah, and I can't remember. She told him her name in the the last movie, uh, the last Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, but I, right, I didn't see that one. So yeah. Well, uh, sure, it's on Netflix, maybe. <laughs> Uh, find it somewhere. Yeah, but um, yeah, and and Mysterio, what did you think about Jake Gyllenhaal? I thought he did a, a smash up job. I thought, uh, you know, and then like I said, the the costume and everything, the graphics, that was all on point. Uh, the sequences where he created illusions and Spider Man was in there, you know, trying to fight his way out. I thought that was that was probably the highlight of the movie for me. What about yeah, it's like some crazy dream sequences almost. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. I like that. I think Gyllen, Jake Gyllenhaal is a fine actor. Yeah. I think he did a wonderful job. Yeah, uh, I think he did great. Um, I didn't. We didn't stick around for the end of the movie. I'm sure there was a surprise or a revelation, but um, no, no new villain in this one. They didn't have a setup for a next villain. They just kind of left it. We don't yeah. know what's going to happen. We kind of left it open. Yeah, they they come back home and reveal that uh, Happy is dating uh, Aunt May, which is Peter Parker. Spider Man only calls her May. Which is interesting because like it's not his friend, it's his aunt, and it's Marissa Tomei. Still good, <laughs> still good looking lady. She's got to be in her mid to late fifties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how old she is. Very attractive, uh, and her and Happy are starting a relationship, and then he finally uh, tells MJ that he has uh, significant feelings for her, and they they hook up, and then of course Spider Man's going on a date. He's got his costume on, and he's running through New York City, which is you see in a lot of the the movies previous, but. To show his age, he is taking selfies of himself while he's up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like I said, great movie. I give it uh, two and a half out of four possible stars. Um, you know, uh, great graphics. Uh, you know, Spider-Man's still alive and well. Great action sequences, but just no, no depth. Nothing to keep us sucked in other than, you know... Just a lot of fighting. I mean, it's yeah. going to cater to kids. Well, I mean, he's, you know, just trying to figure himself out. Who's he going to be? Is he going to be with his friends? Is he going to take care of them? Yeah. Or is he going to be, step up and be the next Tony Stark? Yeah, that's a lot on a young dude's that's shoulders. That's a lot on a 16-year-old's shoulders. Yeah, because right now he's worried about chasing that girl around. Yeah. And doing every he's doing, I mean, he's high school, 16, what is that, a sophomore? Junior? Six, uh, yeah, something like that. In between? Junior. And, and, and now he's got that thrown on him that he gets he gets Tony Stark special glasses where he's, um, you know, doing all that stuff. And 
I know my mind just drew a blank. But anyway, if you want to go see Spider-Man, like I said, it's good for the kiddies. Uh, not a, le a lot to desire for the uh, mature audiences. Uh, myself, mid-30s, uh, didn't do a lot for me, but enjoyed it. Jeff, you said you liked it. How many stars? Uh, out of five, I'd probably give it a three and a half, maybe. Jeff's giving it a three and a half. I'm giving it a two and a half. And that is the lunch break. We'll be doing this segment every week on the podcast. Jeff and I are co-workers, co-friends. We have lunch together at our job here in the real world. We'll be discussing movies, music, entertainment, whatever we're doing uh, during the week. So uh, take care. Take care of each other. Uh, Josh, over and out. Jeff, see you. In honor of 4th of July week for this podcast, I had the privilege to go to the James K. Polk home in Columbia, Tennessee, where I reside, and speak with John Holtzapple, the director of the James K. Polk home. He's been there since 1984. We discussed uh, what the 11th president of the United States did while he was in office uh, during July 4th celebrations. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff he did there. Um, if you ever get a chance, go to the website, www.jameskpolk.com. Check it out. If you're here locally in the Middle Tennessee area, go over there and get a look at the only uh, presidential home for James Polk that still exists aside from the White House. And on with the interview with Mr. Holtzapple. You know, being from Columbia, or living in Columbia now for almost a decade, I'm very proud that James Polk was from here. And, and, you know, being the 4th of July edition of my podcast, I just wanted to know what kind of things he did within the White House or, or what he did to celebrate, really. Okay. It, it was tradition at that time, actually on two different occasions, New Year's Day and 4th of July, actually to open the White House for guests. Uh, so it was like an open house at the White House, and the Marine Band would be present, and they'd have uh, food and drink, and President and Mrs. Polk would, would spend a lot of time just shaking hands, meeting, meeting the citizens of the country. Wow, that's amazing, because, I mean, you think about it now with all the, you know, the security stuff you had to go to, to just think you could just walk <laughs> yes. in and meet, there's the president and his wife. In fact, that was more common then than you might think. Polk himself had, had regular office hours where people could come and and see the president, and just for regular daily appointments, I think there was uh, sort of control of the number of people came, nothing like the, the security they'd have now, but sort of control with the number, but nothing like background checks or anything like, <laughs> like that. But in the case of yeah, uh, New Year's Day and 4th of July, the doors were just open, and anyone could come visit the White House and, and see the president. Yeah, that's amazing <clears throat> what the man accomplished, and then to, to have patriotism like that just to let you just come in and just uh -huh. see him. Or, you know, if you had a qualm or something, just to come speak with him yeah, about it. He, he very much saw the president as servant of the people. He had that sort of servant-leader mentality that uh, the, the people were sovereign, and he was ruling on behalf of, of them. Uh, so he made a point of, of seeing him. Sometimes he get frustrated. Uh, I talk about open doors at the White House. He was expecting, I think he was hoping for compliments, was willing to accept critiques or suggestions, but what he often got were people looking for government jobs. Oh, and, really? You know, they get, fr <laughs> get frustrating after a while for him, but he still, still saw everyone. Yeah, that's, that's, just, that's just an amazing story. Um, well, I appreciate your time uh, telling me about that. And um, somebody, uh, the young man downstairs, he uh, told me you've been here since 1984. Uh, 1984, yes. Okay, well, let me ask you, uh, what do you think, in your opinion, I've always wanted to know this from you, what do you think if, you know, in the here, hereafter, you go and, and you go to President Polk and you've made a lifetime uh, of lifting his work and making it interesting, what do you think he's going to say to you? Oh, I, 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 I'm just... 
I'm just honored to be here. I'm just push myself out of that equation. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I think for all of the Columbia community has done a lot to, to make a point of preserving James K. Polk's home. I mean, in his lifetime, he lived in in nine different houses, and the one right here is the only one still standing. It's very well known. There was a big home in downtown Nashville where he retired and died, which was was torn down. So a salute, my salute to the community of Columbia and to Murray County uh, for making an effort to, to save this house all these years. And also is actually some Polk family members. President Mrs. Polk never had children, but during Sarah's widow, 42-year widowhood, she helped raise a, a great niece, almost unofficially adopted a, a great niece named Sally. And uh, the Sally inherited many of the belongings, and it was her daughter who started the James K. Polk Memorial Association, the nonprofit group that operates this. So we have so many original belongings, thanks to family and things going right from the family to the museum. Uh-huh. Uh, one more thing. I've seen the discussion, and then I appreciate your time, about uh, possibly moving uh, his remains here. Is that What's the, pro- uh, the uh, yeah, process that's, that? Yeah, that's an ongoing project. Again, we appreciate all the... The support and just opinions. We're open to anyone expressing their opinions on that. The story behind it, Polk, I mentioned the house in Nashville torn down. Polk in his will had actually asked that home in Nashville go to the state of Tennessee and be his museum or memorial. Uh, And sure enough, when he died, he was buried in the yard. His wife, Sarah, outlived him by 42 years, and that was the complication. She didn't have anything in her will regarding the house. We assume she thought his will would go into effect, but his will was 42 years old by that time, and Tennessee has what's called a perpetuity law that you can only control something from the grave for a limited amount. I think it's 20 or 21 years, so this was double, double that time, and it opened the door for a challenge, and a number of distant relatives actually challenged Pope's will in court, won, but then couldn't decide among themselves who was going to get the house. And there was an out-of-court settlement to sell the home outside the family and divide the money from the sale. But unfortunately, it was prime commercial real estate. The home was uh, left family hands. The grave site was moved, even though Pope and his will had stipulated that his grave never be moved. President Mrs. Pope's remains were moved to the, the state capitol grounds in Nashville, and a number of years after that, that Nashville home was torn down. Mm-hmm. But there was an effort that Polk wanted in his will to be one of his homes to be a museum or memorial for him, and the Columbia House was the, the only one still standing, sure. other than the White House. And this nonprofit group, the Polk Association, actually lobbied the state to purchase this house in Columbia to try to honor James K. Polk's wishes. And this became the historic site. And all the furnishings from the Nashville home ended up coming down here, things from the yard, like the fountains and urns. But the grave site has always been a question and and controversy there. That Polk wanted to be buried on the grounds of his home and museum in Nashville. Uh, Which is closer to what he wished, to be buried in Nashville but not at the home and museum, or be buried at the home and museum, but not in Nashville. And sure. a lot of folks through the years have answered the question that second way, thinking that the house here in Columbia is his home, the one surviving home, his museum, is closer to what he wanted in his will. And that's what motivated this. Actually, when you mentioned how long I've been here, when I came here in 1984, within a week's time I was here, I already heard a proposal about someone wanting to move the gravesite way back then. And wow. it's, it's really gained uh, uh, momentum. Uh, I'll mention there was a, 
uh, Brian McKelvey was part of a local group that was really pushing to make it happen. Our former curator and now the, the county archivist, uh, or the county archives, Tom Price, was really instrumental at that. Uh, right now it was approved by both houses of the state legislature, but there's still a, a lot of steps to, to go. Uh, the next step is actually a, a capital grounds a commissioner called the Capital Commission. And uh, with the new administration, with the new governor, a lot of the, the people in that commission have been, been replaced. So even though there was a sort of an explanation to them and a proposal to the Capital Commission last year, there are a lot of folks in place, new folks in place. So it'll be sometime in the coming year that that will be a presentation to that commission. Excellent. Uh, well, I'd like to say once again, sir, thank okay, you for your thank time. Thank you it so much. an honor. Um, I hope While I was visiting Metropolis, Illinois, the home of Superman, I had the opportunity and privilege to go into the Super Museum. The Super Museum is owned by Mr. Jim Hambrick, uh, founder and owner. Uh, he has the uh, biggest collection of Superman memorabilia that I've ever seen and in the world. Um, he's got costumes, movie props, toys, anything you can think of. He's got a Christopher Reeve costume. He's got a George Reeve costume, one of the only ones left in existence. He's loaned tons of his things to uh, the Smithsonian and several other places. You can get in here and easily turn right back into a kid. I went from 36 to 6 in about 15 seconds. Uh, you can check out the Super Museum online. Uh, going on with our interview with Mr. Hamrick, he was kind enough to lend me some of his time to discuss his super collection and uh, his thoughts on Superman going into the future and what's going to go on with him. So on with the interview. Enjoy. First of all, the place is incredible, awesome. Uh, thank thank you. you for doing it. I was thrilled to be here from Middle Tennessee, checking everything out. Mm -hmm. uh, how did it start for you, the love? Let's just start from the beginning, if we could. Well, it starts with a lunchbox, a metal lunchbox that I got for my fifth birthday. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, you know, uh, I went nuts over it. And, you know, of course, any packaging or boxes that came with it, I had to save that, too, and put it on display. And that's how it started. And I started charging a nickel to get in my my bedroom to other friends at school. <laughs> that's awesome. And so, I, you know, I've been doing that, but been collecting since 1959. Wow. We've been here 30 years in Metropolis. I had a museum, Mobile Museum, for 15 years before I came here. So that's 45 years in the Superman Museum business. Oh, wow. So I better know a little bit about it. I would say you're yeah. the foremost expert. Is this the biggest collection in the world? It yeah. seems like it has yeah. to be. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's not just me. I mean, we get collectors from all over the country that bring stuff in. They don't give it away. Oh, but yeah. We work things out. And it's, you know, I've become pretty good at uh, trading back and forth and auctions and, you know, any, any of that kind of thing is... Uh, relevant to uh, what we have and how, how we got it and why we got it. But, uh, Metropolis, Illinois seemed to be the right place to put this thing. And I was right on that one. Yes, you are. This is, yeah. this is incredible. And then, like, my Superman growing up was Christopher Reeve, and uh -huh. to see a costume in there just yeah. taking me aback to be that close to it. Right. And uh, I saw pictures of him in the wall here with people. Did you ever get to meet him? Christopher Reeve? Yes, yes. Sir. Uh, Oh, wow. Yes, I did. I've met him uh, several times and also... Uh, 
did some consulting work for them to let them know what Superman could and couldn't do. Because they didn't know. DC Comics did not keep a history of what each character did or what kind of powers they had. And so they had they, they weren't sure. So they, they wanted to know on, te on television or in the movies or in the cartoons animation or whatever it was, uh, how did that contribute to, you know, like Kryptonite, for instance. Bud Collier was the voice of Superman. And is that still rolling? Yes, sir. I just had to. Bud Collier was the voice of Superman. And on radio, he would, uh, he couldn't take vacation because they couldn't get a voice that sounded like He had a very distinct voice. And what they did was they, uh, they got a guy to moan and groan so that he could take a vacation. And they, they said that he was on some element called kryptonite from the home planet. Oh, and wow. that's how kryptonite was, why kryptonite was created, so that Bud Collier could slip a Mai Tai on the beach of Florida. You know. <laughs> what an amazing, I had no clue. Yeah, and then, you know, things like that. Uh, people get their mind blown. Kent, Clark Kent, Clark Gable, Kent Taylor, they're two screen idols. Yeah, I would never even put that together either. Yeah, so I mean, there's, there's things like that that uh, are relevant. And just Siegel Schuster signed a lot of stuff with my mobile museum, and I had uh, uh, on the road with Kirk Allen so many times. Kirk Allen called me once a day for 15 years. Wow, that's every amazing. day, and I uh, put him on on tour with the museum, and uh, and he did real well. He did. He made more money signing autographs than he ever did. Portraying Superman. Oh, I'm sure. And plus, and he was my best man at my wedding. So, Are you uh, serious? <laughs> that yeah. is the coolest thing ever. Well, yeah. uh, I know with the lunchbox. What is your favorite piece in here? Well, I would probably have to be the uh, the color costume uh, worn by George Reeves. That yeah. meant the most to me because of what it represented, and you know the fact that I got it was an impossibility anyway. And I ended up eventually with eleven of them. Yeah. So they kept finding me. Hey, I got this costume in my closet. Oh, that looks just like that one. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Go visit it. Had the tags and everything. He said, well, where'd you get this? Well, I'd have to kill you if I told you. You know. <laughs> I bet there's something here the Smithsonian wants to borrow. I've already loaned, had stuff on loan to the Smithsonian. Yeah. Many Lives, Many Worlds in 1987. Uh, during the 50th anniversary, we did an exhibit and display there at the Smithsonian called Many Lives, Many Worlds. So I've been there. I have the Clark Kent... George Reed's Breakaway Tour, and a lot of Christopher Reeve stuff, and uh, uh, a lot of stuff to cover, you know, uh, the gamut of 50 years. So, that is amazing. And you yeah. are the big, I've never believed I got to meet the biggest Superman fan ever. Well, I'm kind of tall, too, but you <laughs> so are you. Yeah, um, you got the tallest yeah. Superman guy anyway. <laughs> and I appreciate your time, and I'll give you one more question uh, yeah. for being generous for your time. And, and once again, thank you for this. This mm -hmm. is just, I forgot that I'm a 36-year-old man. Oh, well, so It's that, really that's... awesome. I, I'm a 65-year-old kid, so we, we got a little bit in common. Uh, the last thing, um, Henry Cavill is no longer linked to the Superman. Uh, is not? That's what I heard. Um, who do you think would be a, a, the new one going in? Who would you like to see? Well, I, I would like to see Tom Welling. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. t take up there because there's a, there's a big following, and, and you know that it needs a boost. But you know, I like Henry Henry Cavill's uh, uh, portrayal because. Superman has all those little, you know, like Popeye has, a, he's always talking under his breath, like, well, Superman has the same type of thing, and so there's a form of communication there, like with kids, yeah. and he was able to do that, and now he picked up on, on a lot of those little slang sayings and things like that that Superman does with a smile. You know, like big, you know, look at Justice League, I mean, he looked at the Flash as he was running by while he had the other four in subduction. 
that subdued them. And he's just kind of like, yeah, where do you think you're going? You know? <laughs> I might have my hands full, but you next. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I liked what he did. I, I'm under the understanding that he is continuing with Superman. Uh, and also that uh, when they talk about him not doing anything, he, the thing that he's not doing is being the Justice League Superman. That might be what it was. So if you look at all of the articles, you'll see where there's a disclaimer there and it's, it mentions Justice League. Okay. So uh, that might be just a publicity ploy. You know, they do it all the time. Yeah, just they're, the ones make, they're the ones that make eight or ten billion dollars, you know, <laughs> or a hundred billion dollars or whatever. What did Aquaman make last time around? I mean, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, it's, they, they've got it down to a science as far as making money. But they got to do more for the fans because the fans know better. They can't fool the fans. That's it. And and that's the whole deal. You know, everybody knows what Superman's supposed to do. You know, well he can't. He's not wearing tights now. Oh, big deal. What do you? What do you? So, so kneel before Zod. Is that the deal? <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, we we have a lot of fun with it. And we get to over fifteen hundred to two thousand people a day in here, and uh, we get a lot of people. We get a lot of. Uh, uh, people having fun in here, and they come to Metropolis, Illinois, home of Superman, get their picture with the statue, and we we have enough stuff in there to chuck the horse as far as everything goes. But that's only ten percent of what I have. And that's, that's what you see in there. And reasonably priced, five dollars. Thank you for that. Oh yeah. Because you can bring your family. You yeah, know, you got it. You got to keep it low so they know what's going on. You know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you know, the only way you're going to get a in is free food. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, well. Once again, sir, thank you. Uh, yeah. Best best place to see. I've been well, in a long you. time, and I really appreciate you. Being and that wraps up episode three once again thank you very much uh, happy fourth of july and uh hope you had a safe and exciting one and if you enjoy them i'll keep making them if you got anybody that wants to be interviewed get on my show and talk about music or entertainment or whatever crops up in the old uh, cranium uh, just hit me up at joshbelcher at hotmail.com that's j-o-s-h-b-e-l-c-h-e-r at hotmail.com this has been the josh belcher experience i'm your host josh belcher thank you be safe love one another and we'll catch you later on down the line all right bye-bye